started I wouldn't make it to the back row and I'd be in trouble for not making it to the back row so I just stayed up here welcome to First Baptist Church we're glad that you're here um, you'll notice inside your worship guide there are deacon ballots we would just like to ask you to um, fill those out during the service and put them in the offering plate at the end along with your tithing offering we would encourage you to do that um, also if you'll look um, this week starts if you look Chris Chris and Lucas stand up real quick and face the crowd um, VBS, as you see, the shirt starts this week. So let's be in prayer for that. And if you're off, if you're um, involved, we're praying for you. And if you're not, and you still want to do something, I'm sure Chris can find something for you to do. Um, next week is a combined service. Um, we always do that around Vacation Bible School time. It's going to be a time of worship and prayer and leading up to communion. So we would appreciate it if you make plans to be there. And you can see it'll be at 9.30. Treehouse and nursery will be taking place, but nothing else except for worship during that time. 
And then um, you can also see in your worship guide, um, starting June, I think it's the 21st, that third Wednesday, I'm going to teach in here at 9 a.m. on Wednesday morning, just looking at a psalm and prayer. And um, so we'd encourage you to be a part of that. We're not doing Wednesday nights during the summer, but we will do that. And so I hope that you'll take part of that. Why don't you stand up and greet those around you? We're glad you're here today. Well, I had four or five choir members ask me what I just said, and I said, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. It'll be a little different in here if you can be a part of it. I know many of you will be working, um, and so, um, but we want to invite the others of you to come. Um, our call to worship this morning comes out of the book of Micah. Um, it's a little longer, and um, so I'm going to let you just read it real quick, at least the first page um, of it. And I think what I'll do this time is I'm going to read verse 18. And then you'll read the next screen, and then we'll read the last one together, okay? So when I do that, that means it's your turn, okay? <laughs> Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Go ahead. You will have read this together. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Isn't that a great promise? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time we have to worship you. And God, I just pray that as we come, that we will sing to you, that we will make a joyful noise to you, the God of our salvation. We praise you, and we thank you that we can do this. And we pray for your presence to be manifested among us through the reading of your scripture, through the singing, through the preaching, through the giving, through everything we do. May you be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. scripture this morning is from Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, the, on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Is <clears throat> all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord.
do that song before we sing any hymns or the choir would be out of breath. <laughs> Please uh, take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 48. We're going to sing a medley of hymns. It's entitled, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. Great is the Lord. I'm sorry, and uh, I'm out of breath too. I apologize. <laughs> saved, saved. Sing the mighty power of God. Let's stand. If you're saved, let's sing this like we need it.
looking in James, James chapter 2. But before we turn and read, before we turn and read the scripture, let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you and praise you. We thank you that we can sing those words that we're saved, that you saved us, God. And we know that Peter tells us that your divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's through being saved, through, through the knowledge of you who've called us to your glory and your excellence. God, thank you for the salvation that you have given to us. You have caused us to be born again to a living hope, and we praise you for that. Lord, you, you know the needs that are around us. We, we lift Ray Johnson to you, God, and just pray for healing for him. We lift Jeff Vandiver, and God, pray that the doctors would have wisdom to know what to do in his life, and Lord, that you'd bring healing to him. Lord, we pray for Rita. And continually lift her to you and ask God for wisdom for the doctors. But we just ask for your healing, God. We thank you and we ask for comfort for those who have lost their loved ones, for those who are struggling now. Father, I just pray that today as we turn to your word, as we come, that we will make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Because God, you tell us in your word that if these qualities are ours and increasing, they keep us from being ineffective. They keep us from being unfruitful. And so, God, as we seek to know you through your word, we ask that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of you. Bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. And um, I'm going to, that's what we're going to focus on, and that'll be what's on the screen but when you have your Bibles, just back up to verse 14, because that's where we started last week. And, and really, this is a part two of last week's sermon. It, it should have been all in one sermon, but um, I didn't know it, if you would have handled um, the length of that it, with two sermons together. You, you would have done well, I know, because I have preached long sermons in the past, and everybody said, amen. Um, <laughs> so if you can, stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll start with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, we started studying James. and Well, let me say it this way. We started studying one of the more difficult passages in James. And as I shared with you last week, it's not difficult to know what he's saying. The difficulty is, is that we're so versed in Paul's theology. We're so versed in Paul's teaching on justification that when we read words like James here, we, we're tempted like Luther who struggled with this book and called it an epistle of straw because he couldn't put together why James would say this and Paul would say something else. And I think what, and, and I'm always careful because Luther was a brilliant man, but what Luther missed and what we must see, as I told you last week, is that Paul and James are, are standing back to back fighting different enemies. Paul was fighting those who said, you have to work to be saved. You've got to keep the law, the dietary law, circumcision laws. You've got to keep the law in order to be saved. But James is fighting those who say, no, you're saved by grace, but you don't have to work once you are saved either. So they're fighting different people, different enemies. We saw last week that he, he started by asking us two rhetorical questions in verse 14. And both of those questions are, are, are have an answer that it's expected to be in the negative. And then he gives us four illustrations. And we looked at these last week, the first two, and, and that's where we'll pick up. But we saw the needy man, and then we also saw the objector. Do you remember the objector is one that... James seems to introduce into the story, just knowing that there would be an objection. So he introduces it into the story, and he says, but someone will say. But now we turn to the Old Testament. Remember that James is writing to Jewish Christians, the 12 tribes of dispersion. They, they know it. Um, they know the Testament. It, it, it would not be an Old Testament to them at that time. It was the only Bible they had. This is the first New Testament book that is written. And so we turn here to, to Old Testament um, truth to give proof that while faith is by grace, the faith that comes through grace always has works that follow. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. But the salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, always has works. That will follow. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
R. Ken Hughes said, it's obvious James never took a Dale Carnegie course. You foolish person, he says. He just cuts straight to the point, doesn't he? He digs right in there. And in verses 21 through 24, James takes us to the father of our faith. He takes us to the father of the faith, to one of the great Old Testament saints, who's really the beginning of Israel. God calls them out of Ur. He calls them to go to a land that he will cause them to see. He doesn't have children, and he promises him that he will have children. And, and those children, that son Isaac gives birth, or his wife gives birth to Jacob. And Jacob, his, 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 the, great, the grandson of Abraham, gives birth to the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and it goes on and grows. What's interesting is when you look in Genesis and where James goes here with the father of faith, Abraham, Paul also goes to the same person. Paul goes to the same person in the same text to prove that, that salvation is by faith alone, not by works. And James turns around and goes to the same passage in Genesis 15, and he quotes that, as we'll see, but, but he goes to a later event in Abraham's life to show that the salvation that came by grace, by faith, is followed by great works. So in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. He's not Abraham yet. He makes a covenant with Abram, and he, he said to him in Genesis 15, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham is probably out there looking up in the stars with no light pollution and seeing it all. And God says, that's what it's going to be like with your offspring. John sees it later in, in heaven. And he says, I saw a crowd that could not be numbered worshiping the Lord. God promised Abram something that really seems impossible. Because Abram's old at this time. He doesn't have a child. God will wait till he's 100 years old. We just went over to South Carolina and celebrated Kim's grandmother's 100th birthday. 100 years. I can promise you she's not ready for a child. <laughs> Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a child. And your genealogy will be like the stars. And verse 5 of Genesis 15 says, And Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. This is before the birth of Isaac. He believed God. Before he had children, he believed God. When he was advanced in age, he believed God. He believed that God would give him offspring like the stars of the sky. That's what Paul points to. That's why he says in Romans that Abram believed God and God credited to him his righteousness. It's what James says as well. But in verse 21 of our text, James builds his case on another text, another verse. He says, was not Abram our father? Justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. 
So Genesis 15 is the promise of Abram's son. But now James points to the time with his son. Isaac has now been born. It's a separate event followed by God crediting him to be righteous. That shows his faith now. This is what he's going to do. And so if you, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn back to Genesis for a moment. And let's look in Genesis. In Genesis 21, the son is born. Obviously, we know the story of Ishmael and, and, um, and, and his birth with, with Sarah's maidservant. But this is the son that God counts and is a part of his genealogy. And in Genesis chapter 22, if you look at verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. Don't lose how hard that would be. All of us know what it's like to have children. Some of you know what it's like to lose a child. But for God to do this, to test Abraham this way, A.W. Tozer writes about it in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says about this, this night after verse 2, because there's no story between 2 and 3 of, of Abraham's wrestling with this, but Tozer said the sacred writer separates us or excuse me, the sacred writer spares us a close-up of the agony that night on the slopes near Beersheba, where the aged man had it out with God. He says, but respectful imagination may view in awe the bent form wrestling convulsively alone under the stars. Possibly not again until one greater than Abraham wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did such mortal pain visit a human soul? Can you imagine? The son is here. He loves him as you would understand he loves him, as we love our own children. We don't know what happened between verses 2 and 3, but we know in verse 3 the Bible says, So Abraham, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. If you keep looking on verse 4 of Genesis 22, on the third day, it took him three days, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. Can you imagine? Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, his father said, here I am, my son. 
And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went on together. You know the story. He built the altar. He took the wood that had been laid on Isaac's back and he bound Isaac and prepared to take his life. He took the knife and raised it to kill his only son Isaac. And then he heard words just like he heard in verse 1. But this time God says his name twice. Abraham, Abraham. And just like in verse 1, Abraham says, here I am. And then he heard these words. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God provided a ram caught in a thicket. Abraham named God there with another name, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides and he and his son walked off that mountain together. How did he go through with it? I hold my grandson's shepherd. And think about that passage. As I held each of my daughters and thought about that passage. How did he do it? The writer of Hebrews tells us. He's writing about the great hall of fame of faith, and he says about Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Even to raise him from the dead. Abraham knew that God's promise lay with Isaac. He knew that God was going to give him that son, and that was the son of the promise, and he knew that that was the son and he knew that God had made a promise. So he also knew that if, that if God caused him to sacrifice his son, that God would raise that son because he was a part of the promise. That's how much Abraham trusted God. That's how much faith he has with God. That's faith. And that's work that followed that faith. He obeyed God. And that's James's point. He obeyed God. And before we go to the next illustration, I, I'll take you back to the words of Tozer for a moment as they walked back off of the mountain. He said now, talking about Abraham, now he was a man wholly surrendered, a man utterly obedient, a man who possessed nothing. He had concentrated his all in the person of his dear son, and God had taken it from him. Everything that he had owned before was still his to enjoy. He had his wife and his son Isaac safe by his side. He had everything. But he possessed nothing. He had given it all to God. And he trusted God with everything he had. Tozer went on to say, The words, my in mine never again had the same meaning for Abraham when Jesus is Lord it's his it's not mine when Jesus is Lord it's him it's not mine 
It's always God and what God is doing. That's what true faith will do for you. It will lead you to total surrender and total obedience. So we find a needy man. We find an objector. We find the father of the faith. And then we come to a prostitute. What a contrast. We find the father of the faith in Israel's history. And a woman who is always mentioned as a prostitute, even after she joins the people of God. It's a major player in Israel's history, Abraham, and a, and a Gentile woman. A man who was respected by all. Even kings blessed Abraham. And then there was a woman of contempt. Could there be a greater contrast? Look at James's words. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from apart from works is dead. Now Rahab's story is a little further down the line in Israel's history. Abraham had a son, his son had his son, and and, and his son had his 12 sons, and those 12 sons began to grow and multiply, and they went down to Egypt, and God delivered them with Joseph, and they came up into the promised land. And you know the story of the Exodus. They, they wandered there, and it finally came time for them to cross. They sent the 12 spies. Two of them said, we can do it. Ten of them said, we can't do it, and they refused to go in. They grumbled against God. They wouldn't trust God, and so God cursed them. He says, not one of you who's alive will go into that place. Not one adult. Not one will enter the promised land except for the two, Joshua and Caleb. And he said basically this, those children that you said would be killed if we cross the promised land, they'll be the ones who'll cross over. And we come in the scriptures to that time. We come to the scripture where, where they're now gathered back. All the fathers and mothers who had first left Egypt are dead. And Joshua is now the leader. Moses is dead. You remember Moses sent 12 spies and only two said we can do it. So Joshua won't make that mistake. He only sends two spies. Not 12, two. And he sends those two out to spy on the land, but specifically to spy on Jericho. History says it was considered a city that could not be taken because of its walls. They went into the city, and they stayed at the house of a prostitute, Rahab. Well, that's interesting. They stayed at a prostitute's house, but understand they lodged there. That's what the Scripture says. She wasn't just a prostitute. She seemed to also have a hotel or, or a hostel that was there in the wall of the city. Well, the king of the city found out that the two spies were there, and he sent men to go get them. And this is where Rahab comes in. She hid them on a roof. She covered them. And so they, when they came looking for, for the spies, she said they had gone down, ran through the gates, and left. And she said, Say, basically, if you'll hurry up, you might catch them. Well, the guards took off and chased after her lie, and they closed the gates and wouldn't let anybody in or out. And she saved them. As a matter of fact, she, she lowered them through the window 
and let them out, and they ran into the hills and hid. She saved them, but she also, by doing so, saved herself. The spy told her, if you'll tie this cord on your window, whoever's in your house will live. And so she saved herself, and she saved her family. And it caused, this act caused her to be mentioned in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Right along with Abraham and Moses as this Gentile prostitute. She told the spies that they had heard what God did to deliver them. They had heard how God split the Red Sea. They heard how God had delivered them over others, and, and they were scared to death of what God was going to do to them. It seems as if she heard the story of what God did and said, I'm going to follow that God. That God's going to be my God. And she saved them. She trusted in their God, a God that was not natural to her or her people. Her faith led her to action. She, she risked her life to save the spies. Her faith came from God, but it had works. It came with works. That's the point. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but that faith is never alone. We're all servants of God. We don't like to use the word. Very few of the English translations use the word for doulos in the Greek, which is slave. We're slaves. But it's not all we are. I didn't mention at the end of verse 23 what God said about Abraham. And he was called a friend of God. A friend of God. You look in Genesis 18 and see the intercession that Abraham had with God over, over Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you look at Abraham's intercession and his speaking with God and, and Moses and the way he talked with God. His obedience, though, came out of friendship and devotion. They were friends, but, but he always knew who God was, and he obeyed God. What about Rahab? It's interesting, God took that Gentile prostitute and brought her into his family. Rahab had a child, and the name of that child was Boaz. Boaz had a son by Ruth, a Moabite, another Gentile woman. Boaz had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. God took a Gentile prostitute and put her in the line of the Messiah. You see her name in the Gospels, in the genealogy of Christ. And what's interesting in this is that she becomes, if I figure it right, the great-great-grandmother of David. He put her in the family line. That's grace, isn't it? That's grace. Let's just forget, not forget one thing. Why is this possible? Because there was another son. There was another son whose back bore the wood. Isaac had the wood placed on his back. Jesus had the wood on his back. 
Isaac and his father walked up the hill. Jesus went up the hill. The father stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. But he would not stay his hand when he came to Christ. The execution was carried out. The offering was made. He, he, allowed, he allowed the unthinkable so that we could know the unknowable. Think about that. God allowed the unthinkable so that we could know the unknowable that God has made known to us the love which surpasses knowledge. God has made known to us the love which surpasses knowledge so that we, this is amazing, I can't get over this in, in, my, in my meditation and in my prayer, so that we could be filled with the fullness of God. That's the kind of thing that comes from obedience. That's the kind of thing that flows from faith. We have these examples, and, and I would just ask you today, as I've asked myself, what are we doing in this moment? What are we doing in this moment of time that proves the faith we claim? What are we doing to prove the faith that we claim? What works come as a result of Christ being inside of you? If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Isn't that an amazing passage? If you walk by the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Two verses down, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He gives us the works of the flesh. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and here it is, the fact that the Spirit is in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then he says in verse 24, this is Galatians 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What are we doing that shows the Spirit's in us? How are we living that, that we see that God is working in us that which pleases him? How are we speaking it? How are we saying it? How are we living it? How are we carrying it out? Church, that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Not just when did I ask Christ to come into my life. That's an important question. But just as important is what has happened since? What has happened since? What's the result? What's the proof of the transformation? Another passage, and I, I tried to mention this in my prayer, and I just couldn't get it all out. But listen to 2 Peter 1, 3 and following. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which, by the power, he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this reason, and I, I tried to pray this, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. These are fruits of the Spirit. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. And listen to what he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What's the proof of your walk with God? Would you bow your heads? I'm not talking about perfection. Though I believe if we walked in the Spirit every moment of our life, we would live that way. It's just we don't. But we ought to be growing more and more like him constantly seeing the fruit Lake Forest we sang this little children's song that went around the fruit of the spirit and at the end it said look at all this fruit hanging on me what's the fruit of the spirit in your life don't don't just sit through another sermon hear another Bible study and go home and live like you've always lived stop and reflect what kind of fruit do I have to back up my claim of faith if you don't see fruit in your life repent maybe you need to be born again maybe you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh, and you need, to, you need to repent. I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer it through the spirit. But I would ask you this. Does the Holy Spirit live inside of you? If he does, he's sanctifying you. He's making you more like Jesus. And that should be evident to those around us. Father, I come before you. You know my failures. You know my struggles. You know I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect husband. I don't even feel sometimes that I'm a good father. My children struggle like our children struggle. And we wrestle with sin 
But oh God, may we not give up the fight. May we not stop until we're done with it once and for all in heaven. And so I thank you for this passage, though it's hard for us to understand. And I ask you, Lord, that we would have the assurance of faith that comes from your grace. Not by works, by grace alone, through faith alone. And God, may our assurance come through the proof of that faith of the works that your spirit generates in us. Help us, God. Help us to walk in your spirit, I pray. Would you just pray this before we sing? Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? You'd be obedient to that. Let's stand and sing. Tim's here. I'll be here. We'll help you in any way we can. Let's stand and sing. If God's calling you, you come. Forgot to mention our students.
are in Panama City now on a mission trip. And so let's make sure we pray for them. They're coming home tomorrow. Lift them up. And then um, don't forget to turn in your deacon ballots. Um, you can lay them in the offering plate at the end. Let's go ahead, guys. Let's get to the doors. They're coming. And um, just see them and place those in the offering plate. And if you're a vacation Bible school teacher, worker, or involved at all this week, would you raise your hand? All right. Several of you. Look around. Let's pray for them. And then, sad news, our buddy Daniel from Germany um, has got to go back home this week. He's, he's leaving the um, family emergency. Things are happening that he's got to go back. And so let's pray for him and his family as he leaves. And a little shorter notice than he had expected, but, it, but he's leaving. So we want to make, sure make sure you get a chance to say goodbye. So would you bow with me? And um, I don't remember the newest benediction. Jay, there it is. The Lord will keep, will you just bow your heads? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.